0: Hello and welcome to the Witching Hour. I am Perry. This is Haley. And we have a very special guest on today's episode. Is that right?
1: Why, yes, we do, Perry. We've got Harvey Guillen, who plays Guillermo, our favorite familiar on FX's What We Do in the Shadows with Us. He's here to discuss that season two twist and what to expect from Guillermo in season three. So beware, there will be spoilers, well, season two spoilers and vampires, lots of vampires.
0: Before we get into all that, though, I wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by FX's What We Do in the Shadows. What We Do in the Shadows is a mockumentary series following four vampires who live where else? Staten Island. This season, our favorite bloodsuckers are elevated to a new level of power. They will also meet the original vampire, encounter gargoyles, and play werewolf kickball. Plus, Colin Robinson is turning 100 years old. Happy birthday, Colin. You can catch up on Seasons 1 and 2 right now. They're both streaming on FX on Hulu ahead of Season 3, which premieres Thursday, September 2nd on FX and streams the next day on FX on Hulu. Hello, Harvey, and welcome to The Witching Hour. How are you doing today?
2: Good. How are you? Thanks for having me.
0: Happy to have you here. I dig the background. That poster just pops so perfectly.
2: I know this is like my little corner where we uh, started doing the after show last season uh, for what we do in the shadows before the shadows.com you can see all the BTS stuff and interviews with all the creatives and the cast and whatnot. We did it during the pandemic so the fans could have something to look at after and before the show.
1: (laughs) That chair looks pretty incredible too.
2: Yeah, it's like this whole corner is like set up to be like the set. I'm in the set. I'm on set. Also, my living room.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good thing to have on hand for shows like this. So before we get into what we do in the shadows, we kind of want to go back to the beginning and get to know you a little bit. And one of my go-to questions for something like that is, I'm always curious, what what did the dream look like at the beginning for you? What did making it look like? And then how does it compare to what you've accomplished now?
2: Honestly, like for me, the dream was to to do one project. Like if I did one project, the dream would come true. I remember being like six years old and watching Annie and, um, and falling in love with singing and dancing and wanting to be that. And I remember looking at that and looking over at my mom and I was like, mom, I want to be that. I want to be an orphan. And she looked at me weird. <laughs> And she was like, "Yes, that's local," and I was like, "Well, what's that?" And she's like, "No, son actores. They're actors." And I was like, "Oh, I want to be an actor." And that's how that whole thing started. And for me, it was like if I even got to set, like I didn't even necessarily wanted to be the person who was starring in something or wanted to be in front. Of, I just wanted to be on set. I love the idea of like moving lights behind and like the old-fashioned like you know hooray for hollywood music you know all of that i just wanted to be in the crackle and center of it i didn't know if i was gonna you know necessarily be uh, a comic relief or shakespearean actor i just knew that i wanted to be in that world it sounded so exciting and so many different uh, elements when to making something happen so and that's what it looked like and then so when i first got my first part on tv um I just remember thinking, I, I made it. <laughs> it was like a small like guest star on a show that Ashton Kutcher was producing. And I just remember thinking, I made it, this is it. And then you realize, oh wait, no, you gotta, oh, okay, you gotta keep going because you can't just make a living off of one day guest star on a show.
1: <laughs> what was the journey from you know that first moment you saw Annie and realized you wanted to be an actor to booking that first role? What were the steps you took to get there?
2: It was hard, you know, It was I mean, this business is, uh, you know, not for the weak of heart. And it's not an easy ride, I'm sure. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's stories out there that are like it was so easy, you know, just like asked my dad to make a call. Uh, but for the most part, it's pretty tough, you know, to get into. And so it was kind of discouraging because I didn't see myself on TV. I didn't see anyone who looked like me on TV. So I, I just, uh, it, it was very discouraging. And I I was like, well, I want to do this. How do I do this? And I remember that uh, I met a fellow thespian at school and she said they were doing an improv class at the local community center for like $12 and 50 cents. And I was like, that's it. That's our ticket. We need to go to this improv class and we'll be discovered because we watched all the Disney shows and we thought that's how Kids became stars. Like you just have to do something creative, and someone was like, "Wait a minute, who's that kid?" Uh, and we're like, "We just get in that class, and we're going to discover it in Hollywood. Here we come!" And uh, I asked my mom for the money, and I came from a uh, low-income family, and I was just like, "Can I have this?" You know, total office. She's like, Mijo, no, no tenemos we don't have money for that." And I was like, "Well, if I I want to take this class, this is my dream, you know?" And she's like, "Well, Mijo, I didn't say you can't do it. I just said if you find your own way, you can do whatever you want, you know, if you find your own way." And I was like, fine, then I'll raise the money myself. But I'm like six, you know? And we're walking home from school one day and this guy was going through trash cans. And I was like, mom, what is he doing? It's gross. He's like, oh, vende los botes, he sells the cans. And I was like, you make money from trash? And she said, yeah. And I was like, so I ran into her closet, got a metal wire wire hanger, like one of those long ones. And I unhooked it into like a long finger like this. And I got a food for less plastic bag. And I went through trash cans and collected bottles and cans to pay for my first improv class
1: that's amazing like that you got that entrepreneur spirit so young
2: yeah yeah so it's always funny when people say like oh my god I love you in the show and where did you come from such an overnight success and I was like overnight like I was like I've been working at this for a while you just don't see the sweat blood and tears you know
0: You bringing up that environment where you expect to walk in and be discovered, it immediately brought me right back to just being a kid. And I think I would like listen to Z100 or something. And there was always a commercial that was like, come to this, you know, like casting call at the mall and you'll be discovered and be on the Disney Channel.
2: i went to those my first audition ever was uh i think it was like robert powers agency or something at the mall at the montebello mall or something and i asked my mom and my dad and uh my mom of course said no she's like no 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 it's like focus on school and blah blah blah. and my my dad saw how defeated i felt because he knew it was my dream and he was just like, like go to the car and i'll see you in five minutes and so he made up a story and lied to my mom and like i was waiting in the car and i felt like we were like robbing a bank because if mom found out we're just like I was waiting for him oh my god he's gonna get caught he's gonna get caught he's not robbing the bank (laughs) he's not robbing the bank and then he finally gets there he's like okay we're good and we went to the audition it was a total scam like the first thing they said was like oh my god so talented five hundred dollars up front those are for pictures and then if you know no, it's just like and we didn't have that money so I'm glad that we didn't have that money because I would have fallen down a different path and it was just but it was nice to have the experience and nice to have that support, you know, uh, to, to take me to the mall anyways to audition.
0: <laughs> so clearly getting discovered doesn't really happen like that or not for most people, at least. But do you remember any specific point in your career or a person that you met that that kind of made you feel seen like this person sees what I can bring to this industry? And that makes me feel like I'm here and have a foundation in this industry.
2: Yeah. I mean, it wasn't until later on. Um, you know, I remember I had a, I I thought that that person was my high school teacher because they'd been on karate kid two as flower man number three and they had an IMDB credit. And I was like, Whoa, like they know what's up. Like whatever they say is gold. Unfortunately it was very toxic. And, uh, uh, kind of, you know, a horrible experience for all of us because well that's the first time that you ever were pointed out as uh, being too big being queer like he would point these things out in class which looking back it was like that person should not be teaching. Uh, But they were, he would literally call out like the girls like it's like are you gaining weight You, you can't be big if you're in Hollywood and I was like. Can you talk to us like that? Like, this is, we're in high school and, but we didn't know the difference, right? As a kid, you you believe your elders, you believe someone who is in a position of power, which is very dangerous because you, you believe everything they say, you know? And so they would say stuff like, you know, Harvey, you should probably focus just on theater. I don't think TV's for you. And say stuff like that to a child, basically. We're all underage and you start believing it. You're like, well, what? But you say you, I was really, you know, no, no, no. You're really funny. You're a really funny guy. It's just... Broadway and stuff will be more free and not even that focus on community theater and it was just like you were thinking like are you a mentor are you uh Satan (laughs) and so it was really discouraging for a little bit and looking back I talked to some of the friends from high school and stuff and I was like can you believe that person was like yeah it's like that person should not be teaching um thankfully I don't think they're teaching anymore at that school at least they didn't teach teaching anywhere but after that, it wasn't until um, I saw a Broadway show that I kind of was like, maybe, you know, I can be, you, you can do it. You can do it if you just really focus and you really want to do it. And I remember seeing Marissa Jar- Jarrett Winoker on Hairspray and I was just like, whoa, she's the lead of a musical. Uh, she's round. She's proud. You know, I was like, yes, yes, you can do it. You can actually do it. Cut to now, Marissa's on our show. <laughs> and I literally expressed that to her. And I was like, Do you know that you're like my first brush? I was like, Oh my God, are you serious? And she's the loveliest and has been so encouraging. In fact, she just sent me this beautiful like paragraph of encouragement the other day. And it was just like, You never know where your inspiration is going to come from. And you never know that one day you'll be working with the people that you idolize. And so anything is possible.
1: That's amazing. Do you like, I don't know. I, I've i had similar theater experiences when I was in theater school with like the teachers who let's say maybe are having a bit of a power trip so like now that you're in a position to possibly influence people looking to do what you do and providing more of a role model do you find ways to try to pass it on in a more powerful way sort of like what you were saying when you you know you just saw her on stage but is that important to you to like extend yeah. that same you can do this to kids
2: absolutely i i pride myself in having you know um before the pandemic there was cons and now they're coming back like you know dragon con and comic cons and all that and i pride myself in in having you know kids come up you know teenagers who are crying and they literally say i never saw myself on television i was like i used to say that too I used to say the same thing you're saying, and now you're going to be here one day and someone's going to say it to you. And so like passing that baton or opening the door, even if you leave it ajar behind you for whoever's coming behind you, because growing up all the things that I was told were the things that were against me, you know, you're you're too, you know, round, brown and proud. And all those were my strikes against me. You're too big, you're too queer. You're too this or too that. And you start thinking, well, I'm just trying to be me. Like, I'm just trying to live my life. Why am I hindering what I am? Why am I trying to look a certain way that you are? When all those things that were my, you know, strikes against me were all my strengths. You know, they were all my strengths and I, you didn't see them that way until I show them to you in that way. And so I show them to you and be like, do you think that this character, why couldn't this character look like me? Why couldn't he talk like me? Why can't he, like, and people are like, you know what? Yeah, why not? Yeah, why don't we try and take a chance on him? Oh, I made a career out of roles that were never written for me. I've made a career out of like, I look at my resume and I would say half of those roles were not written for me. I went in for a role that was written completely different. They'd never had me in mind. And I go in there and I'm like, what do you think? And they're like, I never thought of it like that, but should, should we give it a go? And people take a chance and then they realize, whoa, that's way better than we imagine It's like because you're thinking the old fashioned way because you're thinking of what's already been said by society standards in Hollywood and you're thinking of filling the mold when you should be thinking outside the box. That's what things grab your attention or so unique that people love are the things that are different, you know, the same over and over is boring so think outside the box.
0: All right. Jumping into some credits here. You already mentioned that when you first started out, you booked a whole bunch of small roles on TV shows. And obviously, ultimately, you went on to have significant roles on many popular TV shows. But when it comes to those early ones, the really quick stints where you pop onto a set, maybe just for an episode and that's it. Which one made the biggest impression on you where you find yourself, even on a show like what we do, calling back to the lessons learned way back then?
2: I mean, I would have to say one of the examples of that uh, would be one did the Thundermans on Nickelodeon, where it was a one day guest star with two lines. And uh, I had just gone off doing the internship, uh, which was also a role that wasn't in the, in the movie. I auditioned for a different role in the movie and auditioned for Sean Levy, the director. And he basically was on the floor laughing. And I always say, if I don't get the part, my goal is to get the part, but if I don't get it, I wanna win the room. And if I win the room, they'll never forget you. And they'll always think, God, I feel like we should. And sure enough, I did my job as an actor. I went in there to give my best, even though I wasn't right for the part, it wasn't the description for me in that part. And I left to go shoot another movie. And two weeks later, we got a call that Sean had written a part in the movie for me. And I was like, great. And like, I was just like, that's fine. So he wrote a whole part just for me from that audition. It was a two-line part, but I had to go to move. I moved to Atlanta for two and a half months to film the internship because he was in He was in the scene with all the villain team. Like he was part of the villain team, but he was the only nice guy in the villain team. And so they made this really great character and he had to be there for the whole time. And he gets his, you know, Max Manhala gets his comeuppance at the end of the movie where I punch him. That's like the whole thing was from one audition that was not right for me. And the next audition after that was a two line and my uh, agent's like, oh, you're above that. Like, don't go in for that. If you don't, we'll pass, right? This audition." And I was like, well, tell me about the character. You know, I used to collect trash to even get to this place. So like, tell me about this character. And they're like, well, he's a family He's a superhero. And I was like, I never played a superhero in my life. And because I've never given the chance Uh, and I look good and tight. So I don't know what they're talking about, but like, it's like, and the second thing he's a family member and I was like family. And he's like, yeah, well, family never goes away. Family's always around. Even though it's a one-day guest star for two two lines, family never goes away. And they're like, "It's up to you." We say we say pass, but if you want to do it, we'll just follow your lead. And I will say, "I think I'll go audition for it." I audition, I get it, I get to set, I do my two lines, and I improvise a little bit. And the creators are like, "Like Jed, uh, he's like, that's funny. Let's add that." And then he's goes, "That's also funny. Let's let's also add that." So his two lines become more and more. Three weeks later, they write a whole episode for him for the cousin. And then I recur on that show for four seasons from a one day. Star.
1: <laughs> These stories are such a testament to exactly what you were saying, which is that your strength is being yourself and not trying to hide it. Like you built.
2: Absolutely. Schools.
1: That's amazing. <laughs>
2: It's true. It's true. It took me a while to realize that, though, because, you know, you get, cl- you know, it gets cloudy and the waters get murky because you're hearing things and people are and it's like you lose weight and you got to a lot more about your hair can't look like that. You can't be too feminine. You can't. And it's like and you start just realizing if you just get rid of all those voices and know what your focus is and what you're looking at, at the end of the tunnel. No one's gonna take that like away from you it's your road like you build it yourself so stop looking at intersections and detours and keep your eye on the end of the tunnel
0: i'm gonna replay this interview every time i wake (laughs) up in in a blue mood and you're gonna motivate me i do want to ask about the what we do casting process because i love talking about casting directors and allison jones is one of the best but before we skip ahead to that I have to ask you, Haley knows this is coming. Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. I am full-blown obsessed with that show. I think it is wonderful. And it it has had a big impact on my life in the last two years. I love your role on that too. And that your ending in that role is something that I won't ever be able to shake. And I'm pretty sure you got one of the best possible songs for that moment. But it does make me wonder, because I can't stop thinking about him, What do you think George left the building and did right after that? What is the next step in his life?
2: I think, you know, uh, George left that it was the best thing that could have happened to him. You know, sometimes you think you want something so bad and you George wasn't good at what he did. You know, he wasn't a great programmer, but he had the best intentions and the best personality. The person that you do want to go to work with every day who cheers you, you know, lifts you up and he's, yes, maybe a little too energetic. Um, and I love playing George because he was so different than Guillermo, you know? And George was like really kind of like bubbly and big and like uh, and, and energetic. And I remember I almost didn't do the role because I couldn't. They came to us twice and asked if I could do the role and schedule wise, I couldn't because we were about to start shooting uh, season three of what we do in the shadows. And I just was so heartbroken and they kept asking, is he available? Is he available? And I was like, oh my God, can it work? And they're like, no, you're gonna, those are the days that are blocked out. i was like, no. And as luck would have it, this is how the universe works also. What's meant for you is meant for you because at the last minute, at the 11th hour, they called one more time, like the third time. And they're like, we know we've been bugging you. Is there any way? And that same day, we had found out that the schedule for shadows had shifted and it had moved to a later date. I, they called, we said, uh, yes, he's available. They just wanted, to, they wanted to show that I could sing and they wanted me to send tape. Even though I talked to the creator, uh, Austin, after this, he's like, I never asked him to send, I said, give him the role. And apparently casting, uh, who to cast a Glee and stuff was like, can you send us a tape just to make sure he's sings? He was like, I've never sung on television or film so they didn't know if I could. But Austin was like, no, I told him to offer you the role. And they came back, but well, we got a tape from him. And he said, okay. And they were like, no, I asked you to, let's see it. And then of course, within an hour of sending the tape or something, they were like, can you be on a plane tomorrow? And I was on a plane to Vancouver, uh, quarantine learning through Mandy Moore, choreographer, uh, to the gods. I was just like, I can't believe this is happening. And they told me the song I was singing, the other song I was singing. And I was like, what is happening? And it was just like amazing. And and George, I feel like, was supposed to come back, actually, spoiler. He was supposed to come back for Zoe's birthday episode uh, and sing uh, Kiss Me because he comes back. And this is a story that I was told uh, by the creator He comes back and he's happy he's like the head of his own company he has a boyfriend he comes back and sings kiss me because he comes back and introduces the new boyfriend to the to the whole gang and that was such a great story like arc and i was like oh my gosh and unfortunately this time around with scheduling that did not work so i couldn't come back to vancouver i was already in toronto shooting season three so you heard it here first, who knows that?
0: <laughs> Knowing that seriously makes me want to cry tears of joy right now. <laughs> makes me so incredibly happy for him. And that that production is just something else. I can't even imagine what it's like, like especially when, uh, when I know you've had some theater work in your past, getting the opportunity to bring that skill set to a show like Zoe's under the guidance of a choreographer like Mandy Moore, especially this, just to specify the song I was referencing before is Stronger. stronger hands down <laughs> one of my favorite performances of all of season two but i really can't imagine what it must have been like to work in that kind of setting on a tv show for you
2: i mean it was a dream come true that was and remember what the opening we started with hello dolly but remember in the actual season my dream came full circle we sing hard knock life from annie and i was literally like are you kidding me like when you saying hard like i was like i I'm living my dream. Like, literally, this is where I fell in love with acting, watching Annie. And I'm on set reenacting my own version of an all-male, like, cast because in Annie, it's all girls. And now it's an all-male. Like, we did a gender bender with it. And I was like, I manifested it. I manifested this. Like, this is what I wanted was six, And now here we are seeing Hard Knock Life with all the boys out of the baseball, you know, uh, jerseys and the bats. And, like, it's all cool. And I was like, this is incredible. So that set, everyone who works in it. Super beautiful and amazing, and uh, I wish I could have come back for the for that uh, episode. But uh, but they're making a movie now, so you never know.
0: I'm so happy! I cannot express how excited I am about that. <laughs> Kicking it off with the very beginning, going back to the casting process here. I already brought up uh, Allison, and I was wondering. What was it like going through the Alison Jones casting process? What is it about that casting process that makes it stand out from other ones that you've been through before?
2: Again, what's meant for you is meant for you because I went to a wine and cheese night. Um, my friend Mimi was having a, a couple of friends over because she was in town to bring her newborn baby to uh, visit her brother and her husband was with her and Mimi Michaels, we met in a set of a commercial years ago and, uh, became lifelong friends. And so I was already in my pajamas at home. And she said, I want you to come you know, see the baby. And I was like, I'm wearing my pajamas. And ugh, when's the next time I'm gonna see her? She lives in New York. Okay, fine. And I put on some pants and I got dressed and went to this wine cheese night. Everyone there was just family, except for one person I never met before, her friend, Yvonne, who she invited. So we just talked in the night. And I don't think we talked about the industry or Hollywood or anything. We we're just talking about anything and everything. And the next day I get a text from an unknown number and it's Yvonne. She goes, hey, I hope you don't mind. I got your number from me and I think you're really funny. And um, it was great meeting you. I was like, you too? I was like, stay in touch. And she says, and I think you should audition for my fiance's new show. And I said, what? And she's like, yeah. And it's like, it's called What We Do in the Shadows. And I was like, the movie? And she's like, well, yeah, it's a movie, but now, but you need to hurry because everyone's cast already, except for this role. And they already cast Kayvon, Natasha, Mark, and Matt. And they couldn't find a Guillermo. They had people on hold, blah, blah, blah. And it was close to production. Like production was starting in a few weeks. And I said, sure, I'll buy He's It's like, who's the casting director? Alison Jones. i was like, yes, because I've never gone in for Alison Jones. I mean, Alison Jones, like you said, is a legend. And she kind of, you know, knows what she wants. So she kind of has uh, the ability to just go for what she wants. You know, it doesn't really necessarily have cattle calls. Not that I've been to, you know what I mean? And so you get by invitation, you get asked to go to Alison Jones. And so I was like, oh my gosh, if this is my way in to go see Alison Jones. I don't care about the part, I just wanna go see Ellison Jones, you know? Uh, It's like, yeah, it's like seeing the Easter Bunny at the mall or or Santa Claus, you know? You're like, I don't care what presents you, just go meet them. And I call my agent and I was like, hey, um, so this girl I met at her party says I should audition for this role. Who? was like, oh, her name's Yvonne and it's her fiance's new show. What's her fiance's name? Mm -hmm. Yeah, these are questions that I probably should have asked before I called you so i'm going to call her and ask her and i sure enough i was like hey what's your fiance's name it's so, a garrett bash i was like garrett bash and i go back and they're like okay let me go check and they're like harvey that part is uh, 20 years older than you are they don't they wouldn't see you for that part and i was like but this stranger i just met at a party says i'm perfect for it why <laughs> can't you guys listen to a stranger like i did and they're like uh we'll check it out if they can get you do you think they can, uh, the game the a word in so they did it was almost like a like a, a courtesy audition, basically. So I think that she went and told Gary, I met this guy, give him an audition. He was like, okay, I'll call Alison. Allison, gave the go to my reps to let me come in for it. animal was 20 years older than I am. So yeah, I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, he's 20 years older than I am. But this character is really cool and I can play him. How do I make myself look older? So I went and my paused and got a rusty orange long sleeve sweater, I don't know, a long sleeve shirt and a, and a brown sweater vest. And I found these, I never do this. I never dress for the part. Just maybe have an element of the character feel to it. But for this, I wanted to make an impression on Allison. And I just want, even if it was a bad one, I guess, because I was like, this could go terribly wrong. So then I found these Harry Potter glasses and I popped out the lenses, these circle glasses. And then I parted my hair in the middle. I was like, oh man, this is going to age me out. Like, it's so gross. I'm going to curl it. Like that it's gonna be so yeah no who would look like this on television <laughs> and then i went into the office and i was like i'm here and there was no one there it was like courtesy audition it was just me and no one else and i was like i'm here to see allison but like she's not here and i was like but but i have an appointment well we'll put you on tape she's auditioning here and I, like, I think like in london or something and i was like no i am supposed to meet allison jones uh, but Ben was there and who's lovely and put the microphone on my, you know, collar. And I remember just auditioning. And then after I was done with the audition, I just didn't remember anything. And I looked up and I was like, and Ben looked at me he goes, You're done. And I go, Oh, thank you. And I walk out the door and he goes, Harvey, wait. And I go, <gasps> I thought he was going to be like, You're the one kid, you're going to Hollywood. And then he goes, The microphone. And he takes out the microphone. I walked away with the microphone. And then I stepped out of the office and it was just like this surreal moment of like, I, I know I, 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 I did the character, I just don't remember what I did. And then I walked out and I was like, well, at least I fell into Guillermo. That's why I felt Guillermo was. Guillermo didn't have a last name at that moment. Like it was just like the description. And then I walked out and I talked to my agent who was like, how'd you do? I was like, I don't know. I really don't know, but I, I didn't get to meet Allison. So we'll see. Two hours later, they called and said that they had all voted unanimously to test me with Kayvon. They had FX, uh, you know, Paul, Stephanie, Tyka, YTT, Jermaine, everyone for the first time because they had people on hold for the role, but they were 60, 40 votes or, you know, 70, 30, like they weren't like, you know, on the same page. And for the first time, they unanimously voted to test me. And I was going to be the wild card because I wasn't old enough for Guillermo. So I was like, hey, I'll be the, I made a living out of being a wild card. So I'll go for the wild card. So then a couple like days go by. And then eventually it's Martin Luther King weekend. I haven't heard back and I'm like, they didn't, they didn't they're not gonna did not they test me. They're like, at this point, they start production like next week. It was already Sunday. And then they started production that week. I knew they started production that like Wednesday or something and I was like, I didn't hear back. And then I was like, it's done. And then the phone kept ringing from a 16 digit number and I wouldn't pick it up and I was with my sister. And then she finally said, will you pick up the phone? And I was just like, okay. And I was, hello, I was like, hey, is this Javi? And I was like, uh, yes, hey, it's Tyke and Jermaine. Oh, yes, yes, I'm testing for you. He's like, no, you're not testing for us. And I was like, oh, okay. Thank, thank you so much for considering me then. No, you're, you're the guy. You, and I was like, what? what? He's like, you're, you're the guy. We'll see you on set. And I was like, I booked it without testing. They said, why are we testing this guy? We all voted for him. He. It's like, I'd never had a chemistry with Kayvon. I got the part on the Sunday. I had to call my agents and tell them that I got the part on a Sunday. They were like, Harvey, no, you were testing. What are you talking about? I got the part. (laughs) They probably thought I was insane, you know, like calling them on a weekend. And then they're like, no, we'll check it out. By Monday was Martin Luther King weekend. uh, And they found out that like, yeah, you did book it. I had a fitting on Tuesday and I was on set on Wednesday.
0: What a ride. Yeah. (laughs) Just to backtrack a little, because I had read that the role was originally meant for someone much older and it it was making me wonder, and I don't know if you know the answer to this or if you remember what those sides were, but I was curious, like, How would that have changed the character and his relationship with the vampires if he had been older? Because when I think about that role, it is so specific to you. And it's so specific to the fact that, you know, Guillermo still does have that like bubbly youthful enthusiasm. But we're at a point where we're seeing that kind of disappear into, you know, the next phase of a career and kind of aging and losing that. So I can't even imagine what someone older would have done with a role like that.
2: I think the original version they had for Guillermo was someone that was older. And if you look around the storylines, the, all the familiars around us are pretty much, they're older. Remember Guillermo and Rosa, they're all like, and remember Benji, like, who comes back and he's still not a vampire? That was the idea, that the familiars should be aging and never anywhere near becoming a vampire. So that was the idea originally, I think, with Guillermo. But I, when I came along, they're like, well, why don't we make him younger? Like, and, and he starts realizing that, Wait a minute, and remember that first season when he goes to the familiar's room, and there's people telling stories around the table, like I've been a familiar for seventy years. He promised me to make me one before I hit eighty, and and Guillermo realizes they're not going to make him a familiar. They're not making him a vampire. He's a familiar forever, and he started realizing, is this a mirror? Is this my life? Like this is what's going to happen to me, you know? So it actually worked. Um, I think to everyone's advantage that we made Guillermo, you know, younger than he originally was because otherwise you're right. How would he end up being a slayer, you know, <laughs> if he was 20 years older and like not going through that journey of like self-discovery or that trajectory with a storyline would make sense. And to the point where he didn't even have a last name, like I remember going to Jermaine and saying, can I give him a last name? Because when I do the interviews, you know, we do the confessional interviews, um, you know, I want to slate my name. Like they would ask on a real documentary, you know, or something. And he's all, well, what do you want to call him? And I was like, I don't know, Guillermo de la Cruz. And mind you, I didn't know anything of the story yet. I didn't even know where his story arc was going. I knew he was a familiar and that's all I knew. And he goes, yeah, yeah. And so what does that mean? And he's like, it means of the cross. And he said, that's perfect. And I did not know why, but I was like, there you go. Okay, great. I just thought I picked a cool name. <laughs> I had no idea that it was perfect. It was kismet to name this character Guillermo de la Cruz, who ends up being the descendant of Van Helsing. <laughs> See what I mean? It all happens the way it's (laughs) supposed to.
1: Yeah, and so I'm I'm curious about this, like, two-day journey from audition to set, basically, and that gives you very little time to prep your character work, like, in the more traditional sense, but also from what I understand and have read, you often don't know where you're going very much in advance with this series. So did that turn out to be like, a helpful initial way to have approached the character to just have to get on set and go
2: well it did and it didn't uh because um since he's the only human in the show uh you know humans are driven by needs and wants and aspiration and uh and all of those things that make us human the vampires in the first season are just after lust you know feeding and that's pretty easy because that's been their regular day-to-day for hundreds of years when you don't have a time frame of like times running out, you stop thinking about like goals and aspiration. And for Guillermo, the clock is ticking. He's been a familiar for 10 years and he gets rewarded and he thinks it's only been two years. And his, his mind is about, it's like, 10, is that how long? Wow, two years? Wow. You know, it's like, put it in your depressing room. And I start realizing he doesn't have the same thought process that Guillermo does as a human. It's like, the clock is ticking. And I give this backstory to Guillermo that, he wants to be a vampire because it's aspirational living. Like he wants to be, he wants to be young forever. He wants to be uh, beautiful. He wants to be, you know, glamorous. He wants to be able to fly. He wants to be able to, he wants all these things that make being a vampire so cool at the age though that he could still enjoy it, you know? Cause the clock's ticking you're gonna be stuck in that age for eternity. And so if you don't do it when you're young, it's going to be like, that was your window, <laughs> you know? And it was just like, do you want to be a vampire at 80? You know, it's like always feeling <laughs> 80 every day. And so uh, that's the backstory I gave to Guillermo. But it made it really difficult the first season because they wouldn't give us the scripts ahead of time, which I, I was like, I would like to, we also cross shoot, which means that in one episode or one day of shooting, we might shoot episode 102 in the morning. And by the afternoon at lunch, we're at 106. And then in the evening, we're back to 104. And so it just, it jumps timelines and we don't have the episodes. So they would give us sometimes just like the sides of episodes. And so then we get to like a scene and we're like, Guillermo gets in his car. When did he get a car? Oh, in the early episode. What happens then? We can't tell you, not yet. And it's like, well, shouldn't I, what? I was like, I need to know to know what motivates me to get into the, just, we'll tell you this, you are terrified. <laughs> you just did something, you're dead. Uh, you are dead. <laughs> okay, action. You know, and it's just like, wait, what? Why am I de- Why am I scared? And so when you look at Guillermo in the first season, he looks terrified half the time. It's just not only because he's surrounded with the vampires who can demote him another year of being a familiar just like that, uh, but hes I, I, I feel like he was terrified. He didn't know what the next thing is, which makes the documentary look real. You know, it makes it look like this character in front of the camera is terrified of the secrets being leaked out by his housemates in front of a camera that can incriminate the only human in the house, they're vampires. If the truth got out, they can fly away. (laughs) Transylvania, they can fly away another, I can't. I have all this weight on my shoulders if this ever leaked out, you know? And so there was a lot of pressure on weight on the human. And also, it it also helped me though, develop this character too. We've all been Guillermo, you know? We've all been in his shoes. We've all been at a job that we overlooked for a promotion or in love with someone from afar. Or, you know, but I I feel that's why everyone is drawn to that storyline, because we can all relate to the human storyline.
0: You've spoken a lot about, you know, things happening, like, in a way that they were meant to be. So it was making me wonder, do you have your own interview with a vampire? Like, did you have a vampire movie you watched growing up that now it kind of comes full circle and you are in a vampire show?
2: Well, funny enough, that is the movie. (laughs) Interview with a vampire is (laughs) a vampire movie. So see, that's what I'm saying. I just loved. I mean, I fell in love also with like Kristen's acting as a child actor. I was like, oh my God, you know, like I can do it. Like that was inspirational. I was like, cause I always wanted to act when I was a kid. So when I saw other kid actors on screen, it was aspirational. I was like, yes, you could do it. You know? And so I kept training and training and, and, and working out my craft because it looks like some, like some kids can do it. They're on screen. They can do it. So, and it was my favorite and it was, um something about it that was so like, uh, I don't know, alluring and like uh, provocative and, and sexual, you know, something about it was like taboo. Like it was like both the male characters and I was just, like, why are they so close? And why are they like really good friends or something? You know, but like, it was something about just the, that, that time in New Orleans and that, the, the, the details of the set. Like it was just all of it really kind of grabbed my eye. And, and remains like my favorite vampire movie pretty much.
1: You mentioned the the cross shooting approach and a specific question I wanted to ask about season three because you guys shot this now among more COVID precautions. Did that change that format of filming it all this season?
2: I don't think so. I think that we obviously took every precaution to do this safely. Um, and And I actually felt safest on set, you know because you're tested every day and whatnot. Um, than I did going to the grocery store, you know? Like I would try not to go to the grocery store in Toronto because you don't know, you know? And you do know when you walk to a set that everyone there has been, you know, checked off the list. And so it didn't really change the storyline. We weren't able to do massive, like, group scenes. Like, remember the orgy episode? We had so many background, which uh, that episode is so great and brilliant like that. We weren't able to do as many, um, but we were able to do, you know, group scenes and whatnot. Uh, but we weren't able to do as many because for everyone's safety reasons, obviously, but it doesn't hinder the show at all, I think. If anything, it's just like nothing has happened. When you watch the show, I think it's going to be you know, very cohesive. It's going to feel like back like the old day, like nothing, like in that world, that never took place, you know? And in that world, uh, it, it's just where you left off and continue the story, which is, I think, the best because uh, what we do here is we make an escape for people, right? So for like 30 minutes, you laugh, your ass off and that's what you can do Uh, I always say I'm not a first responder I'm not a doctor but what I can contribute is entertainment and through entertainment if I can make you smile for 30 minutes then that's what I contribute and that's what I can look back and be like I did my part (laughs) to help out during this time as much as I could
0: that you did and it is very appreciated with the, uh, the documentary shooting style, like day one, when you first stepped on set, was there anything about that different kind of filming style that really threw you? Or actually maybe a better phrasing of that is, what would you say to an actor who is about to film a show in that style? What one piece of advice did you wish you had day one that would help them out?
2: Um, be aware that the camera is a character that you know, for so long when you're doing TV and film, you don't look at the camera because you don't that you don't acknowledge it. You're not breaking the fourth wall. And in a show like this, the camera is a character. The crew is a character. Uh, you so if you notice when Guillermo looks at the camera, it's because it's basically saying without words what we're all thinking. Because the only humans in that room are the camera crew and Guillermo. So sometimes when they do something to someone or say something incriminating, it's like, did you get that? Like you know, it's like looking at a human who you can have an instant rapport with. So if you are doing something like this and you're all human, <laughs> then remember that the camera itself is a character, is a person there uh, that you can bounce off, you know, uh, because you know otherwise when you do a movie uh, that's not this tower TV show, you don't don't acknowledge the camera. It's not there, right? It's just we captured it. We're a fly in the wall. But in this moment, it's I feel like it's a character, and that's why it plays off like you you give a wing to the camera or you give a look or whatever, because they are there in the journey, in the moment, in the room with you, which is all of you.
0: <laughs> so. You wanted to give your character a last name before you even knew he had one. And just it sounds to me like in general, you like to put that that time and care into backstory work to really fill out the role when you get to set. So with that in mind, with the carrot with the camera being a character just for you guys while you're on set performing with them, do you have to know everybody? But like, do you give them backstories and names so it feels real on that level?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean like we don't necessarily use the names of the actual crew because we can make, as an improvise, we can make the crew be whoever, whatever name we give them. In this last season, I did do a take where uh, I did tell uh, our director at that point was Yana and I, I literally, I'm doing this and I don't wanna give too much but I'm saying something to the camera and then realize I said it and then I look over and then I, with still being connected to the camera documentary crew, and I look over and I say, Yana, can you can you just cut that out? You know, or something like that, where like you say something that you regret. And that would be like a, an initial reaction of the or something that was incriminating. I was like, oh no, can you edit that and edit? You know, <laughs> like the idea that you're talking to the character. I don't know if we'll use it. I don't know if that, but that was one of the takes that we did um, in one scene, but um, I don't know, cause I haven't seen the episode yet, but uh, if we did use it, it would be very much, very on brand. It would be very, you know, easy to use. <laughs>
0: I love the idea of your actual directors being part of this this world that you built too. Yeah. there's there's like a really cool meta touch about it.
2: She responded with her voice, and she was like, "Yeah, Guillermo." Like she said, "Use Guillermo." She didn't use Harvey, obviously, but she was in character too, responding to Guillermo with the questions. Because uh, you know, when you do those documentary or like you know documentaries or reality shows, you usually hear the producer, or you don't hear the producer the second before asking the you know uh, the inter- the person being interviewed like. So what is it like growing up here? And that person has to answer Where like, growing up here is like, you know, but uh, usually you don't hear the voice, but sometimes you might, you might hear a voice of a producer of the documentary or, you know, you never know. So those that world uh, does exist, where we could use them <laughs> in the show.
1: You talked about how, you know, for a while you don't know exactly where your character is going to go and you have to play the scene as you're directed to play it in the moment. But I wonder, is there, uh, do you have like a, true north for Guillermo or, or something that you hold on to to keep the, the true to the character, even if you don't know where the story's gonna take him? Yeah,
2: I think for the first season, not knowing a lot about the character ahead of time because basically we built him, right? They they thought they wanted this character to be 20 years older and that didn't pan out. So we kind of started from scratch. They kind of had an idea of what they wanted. And I talked to the creators about this and you know, I think it was a collaboration you know, of what I, brought to the table for him and what they saw. And they said, you know what? Now that we know you, now that you do this and that, like, uh, why don't we do this? You know, and we start like building that. I think that where I thought his story arc would go in the first season didn't pan out because I didn't know about the Van Helsing, which was way cooler than I thought. And then once you jump on that wagon, there's a whole other wagon being built, you know? So you can never like really, as the artist, unless you're the one who's also writing the script, you don't really get to, make the destination for Guillermo, you know, or your character. And so, but I like the surprises. I like that he's amazing at, you know, combat. I like that all of these, like, you know, stunt things he gets to do. Um, but at the end of the day, I do know why I want one thing for Guillermo, and that's for him to be happy. Like, I want Guillermo to be happy because I think uh, he fell into this world because he didn't have a happy, you know, upbringing, not necessarily at home. Uh, I think he has a wonderful, lovely mother at home. I think that he was, uh, my backstory for him is that he was potentially not popular and, and he was bullied. And so he he kind of withdrew himself into the world of movies. And in the world of movies, he fell in love with this potential world and searched if that was actually a thing. And he found it, he did his research and found out that vampires are real. And he committed himself to be a familiar to one of them in return for eternal life in the cool world of being a vampire and being, you know, just beautiful and powerful, and no one's gonna mess with him when he's a vampire. That's his idea. And unfortunately time's running out and it's like, when are you gonna make me? But then you start realizing that for so long when you have a goal in mind that you think this is what your destiny should be, your hair has to be so perfectly because this is this is how you tie up your, you know, your sweater vest has to be because you think this is what you should be. And at the end of the day, the universe is like, look over here, look over here. And it's like, what? Look over here. And it's like, take this right over here for a second. And then you start checking out different opportunity and then you start realizing you're really good and you're real natural at what's already in you.
0: (laughs) What we do in the shadows and Zoe, I hear it in both of them. Yeah. (laughs) So what about the writing process from, you know, season one, when you're essentially starting over from scratch with this character to now, is there any, uh, you know, added element to the collaboration now that you're really knee deep in this series and this role is so purely you. Are you able to collaborate with the writing team in a different way, kind of adding another level to that process now?
2: Uh, I am, I'm able to contribute a little bit, yes. Again, I'm not uh, by any means a writer on the show. Who knows, maybe in the future I'll write an episode or direct, I don't know, you know, everything's possible. But I do collaborate with scenes that are important uh, to do with this culture. Like uh, there was a scene where we meet his mom, and Stephanie and Paul came to me and said, okay, let's work on this together. And I went up to the offices and we just punched out the scene, basically on how it would be, what would that environment look like? What kind of language would be used with them? You know, there was a conversation of like, well, when they speak in Spanish, shouldn't we put subtitles? And the response of Paul, which was brilliant, was like, no, people should learn Spanish. And so, <laughs> so his idea was like, if they said something in Spanish, um, and it wasn't like we're giving paragraphs in Spanish, it was like one or two sentences. Which were enough to be like, well, what does that mean? And then you kind of put it together by just seeing the, you know, um, communication with them and the way they're reacting to each other. You can kind, of, you know, when you watch a foreign film and you don't look at the subtitles, sometimes just the acting is good enough to just tell you what's going on in this scene, you know. But it's there to, for you to just double check, you know. It's just like, oh yeah, yeah, that's what I, I thought they were fighting. And I got it, yeah. What they, they're fighting, you know, whatever it is. And so for the that scene was very important to me that the that life was presented uh, being a uh, Mexican household and being with his mom and the way that she's like, uh, you know, uh, working on the freezer and like it's starting to like break down and she's making noise while the interview's there because I no longer live in the house and I have to turn around and tell ama you know, and the way of saying a um, instead of saying mama, it's a shorter uh, enduring version of mother and that you wouldn't know that unless you do it yourself. And like, I got so many people who just sent me messages through social media. And they're like, oh my God, when you said Amán, I felt like I was in my living room with my mom. I felt like so, like, I felt seen. I felt so seen. And the buñuelos in the background, that was another one where it was important to have authentic things in the household. And we have an amazing team that does like set decoration and props. Uh, and the prop team looked up buñuelos, but there's different types of buñuelos. There's like, you know, Salvadoranian and Colombian buñuelos. And they had these buñuelos ship they weren't Mexican muñuelos. They were different kind of muñuelos. There were these balls of dough, which are delicious, uh, but they're not Mexican muñuelos. And so I was like, Mexican muñuelos are flat and they're with sugar and cinnamon and they're lightly fried. And so she started to panic. The, you know, the prop master was like, oh no, oh no, 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 I have these shipped. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And they're like, shit, what do we do? And I was like, it's okay, go get me a packet of flour tortillas, sugar, cinnamon, and canola oil and I'll make them. And we made them up until the last moment before we started shooting, I was making muñuelos in the background putting them in a pile next to him in the background as they said action, like right before they said action, just so we had that authentic feeling. So I could never live with myself if we didn't have the right brimellos behind me because then we wouldn't be true to this character.
1: Obviously kind of the running bit is of course that Guillermo wants to be a vampire, but he's coming up to the realization that that's a false promise. However, as a performer, I feel like I probably couldn't resist. And I wonder if you have been able to resist like imagining how you would want to play Guillermo if he was a vampire.
2: You know what? I thought about it and it changes all the time because I feel um, when I think of it, I think of it through like Guillermo's lens and, it, and his lens keeps changing uh, filters. And so when I think about what he thought about in the first season, it was one way. And it was very close to, very close to an Antonio Banderas an interview with the vampire, because that's his, his, his aspiration. And then as the seasons went on, uh, it started shifting a little bit into just more of a cool, glamorous, like looking with like fitted, like outfits that are cool and almost futuristic looking. And that last time I checked for Guillermo, it's gonna be like this badass vampire, like no frills, like uh, boots. Like it's just like the whole ensemble changes. In my mind, for him, every time we present a different element or ingredient into the mix. So I don't know it, what I think about him today, and the overall package will be what it's different tomorrow because also he's evolving with every season. And so I'm, I'll be, I'll be happy to see if that happens first of all, and when it happens, and and then if it does happen, how that looks. But already with Guillermo as um, kind of a you know bodyguard. He's feeling really confident. So if you notice, I work closely with the costume designer, who's amazing, and and just the detail of like he's more he's not as schlumpy. Like his sweaters aren't like just like you know he's more fitted. He's feeling more pride. He like doesn't feel too ashamed of showing a little bit of more like arm. Like he's always covered up. You no, know? Guillermo's always covered up completely. His sweaters, turtlenecks, or you know or button up. He doesn't wear turtlenecks, but button up. You know, and everything and long. Like now he's not so so afraid of being himself. And that means being comfortable in your body. And that means it's okay to feel comfortable if an outfit is fitted and you show your curves. That's okay. That's your body and be proud of it. So I'm really glad that in this next season, you get to see a little bit of more sassy Guillermo and a little more stylish and a little like pop collar. And like, so I really like, I enjoyed the journey that he's going with now with this outfit.
0: To add another layer to Haley's question, so you kind of just broke down how he would picture himself if he were a vampire, but what about what about what he would think about what to do with those powers and also his relationship with his familiar, given everything that he's been through, how has that goal changed in terms of how he would carry himself in that role, should that ever happen?
2: Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's kind of a crossroads, you know? Um, I feel that it, it would change dramatically if it went one way or the other, um, and I, and I kind of like that I'm living with him in, in, a, in a little space right now where he knows he's descended of Van Helsing and it's in him, but he hasn't let go of the dream. He hasn't let go of the dream completely. And so that makes for a nice like uh, hybrid of a dream. And so maybe now the potential of these worlds intertwining is starting to form and the idea that it could be molding and um, awaken something in him that maybe he didn't even think before and then before you know it is completely pulled.
1: <laughs> I think that one of the most fascinating things about Guillermo is his like, his stick to it-ness. Like, and he, he is so committed to this dream and this lifestyle. And he, we have seen him put up with so much. We have seen him do all kinds of shady things uh, for this lifestyle. He, like you said, he's putting himself from the danger of letting it be on camera. Do you think this character has a breaking point? Does that exist for Guillermo?
2: Absolutely. absolutely, And you see it this season. You see it. You see a breaking point. Uh, you will see a breaking point for Guillermo this season. And it is going to be intense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I feel like that essentially answered my, my other broad tease question. Is there, is there anything else you want to tell our viewers about what to expect in season three about, I mean, maybe just specifically Guillermo, but also beyond?
2: Look out for um, what those uh, the ingredients are. You know, we've already seen it been sprinkled for the last two seasons, and he's only been familiar for uh, 10 years, 11 years now. Uh, and I think everyone has a breaking point, like you said, and, and it's justified. You know, I'll say that a breaking point, sometimes, you know, people are like, well, keep your cool. It's like, no one is cooler in that way than Guillermo. You know, no one has kept it together. No one has kept the lid on, you know, on things longer than he has. So when it does happen, it's going to feel like, a, yes, like do it, you know? And so there is that moment. And I can't wait for everyone to see it because I, I, I couldn't wait to film it because you as a performer, you're like, come on, how much can this character take? You know, it's just like punches and punches and punches of like, you know, uh, belittling and mistreatment. And then when you finally like, you know, you kind of like, you know, cheer for someone, it, it feels good. And so I hope I hope that people feel good with uh, with what he does and how he does it.
0: I cannot wait to hit that point. <laughs> all right, so we always end witching hour with the same two questions. Haley, I will give you the honors this time. Do you wanna pick one of the two first?
1: Sure, my, my personal favorite and the most important question of all time, do you have any pets? I don't have
2: any pets, but my sister has two dogs that I am basically an uncle to because I travel a lot for work. And so I don't have any pets. I did when I was little, I had uh, several dogs. I had Chico, which is a Pomeranian. And then I had Pirata, which was a Dalmatian and he had a patch so we called him Pirate, Pirata. Uh, So I had two dogs growing up uh, and, uh, but I don't have any pets, unfortunately.
0: Dog (laughs) uncle counts. It very much
2: does.
0: (laughs) All right, so the other one that we always like to end on is is there anything within genre that you want to recommend to our viewers, whether it's a book you read, a show you watched, a movie, a game, you name it, something that is in genre or, you know, horror adjacent that somebody out there might like?
2: Hmm. I mean, I do like, like um, documentaries that are thrillers or a whodunit. I don't know if that goes hand in hand with like horror, but it is horrifying to me to like solve A murder mystery (laughs) or a missing person uh, that one of the characters in our show, you know, one of the victims could have easily had a spin off of, uh, you know, some podcast that tries to figure out what happened to them, you know. (laughs) So I would recommend, um, you know, documentaries like that. I, my sister and I, we like watching those. Um, I've been watching uh, or listening to uh, Crime Junkie, uh, the podcast where they try to like, you know, bring light into like missing uh, uh, old stories of like murder or missing people or whatnot. And I always think, what if like, I mean, in a different world, someone did a podcast of like a character that went missing in Staten Island that happened to go to the house and was a victim of the vampires and someone's out there looking for them. And that like, you know, so I thought about that. And I was like, that's connected, right? Like that could easily be a (laughs) storyline.
0: I would listen to that in a heartbeat. Yeah. All right, Harvey, we gotta let you go. Huge congratulations on everything you've accomplished, on what we do in the shadows thus far. And I think I could speak for both of us and probably our audience as well when I say, I cannot wait to see what season three has to offer. I am so pumped.
1: 110%.
2: Thank you. This has been fun.
0: Big thanks again to Harvey for dropping by to chat with us. And thanks to FX is what we do in the shadows
1: for bringing you this episode. Be sure to catch Harvey and the rest of the Shadows cast, including special guest star Kristen Schaal, when the all-new season of What We Do in the Shadows premieres Thursday,
0: September 2nd on FX, streaming next day on FX on Hulu. That's it for this week. You have officially survived the witching hour.